White Sox! White Sox! Go! 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 Call your sons! Call your daughters! Holy cow! Carlton Burns has put the White Sox ahead! There goes number 400! The big Brad Burns takes the perfect game! His second no-hitter! You can't put it on the board! Yeah! Can it go? Grand slam! The White Sox winner and a world championship! Have all the fun you want, Tim Anderson! This one is... Locked on socks. The dynamic duo of Herb Lawrence and Chris Tannehill. Those two are like a tag team, you know? Come with me to Southside of Chicago. Hi, this is Jim Tomey. And the best White Sox talk is on Locked On Socks Podcast with Tanny and Herb. Hello and welcome back to Locked On Sox. We're going to recap this doubleheader sweep that the Indians just did to the White Sox. I am Herb Lawrence. With me, as always, is Chris Tannehill. Chris, I usually ask how you're doing, but, uh, you know, these some bitches I know put you in a bad mood just like they put me in a bad mood. Oh, my God. I am a totally different person uh, uh, when the Sox are bad, which is most of my life. Um, you know, I, I found great joy uh, and, and, and inner peace during these last few months with no baseball. There was nothing to be mad at. And I kind of like looked at the rebuild as an opportunity to let go a little bit and, and not, you know, live day by day with, with the results of a baseball team. But here we are back in 2020. They tell us that expectations should be changed and, you know, they've raised the bar and look at this lineup on paper. Oh, it's amazing. And oh, man, this is you know, people like me saying how they're going to you know, win the division, uh, but certainly not a good start here to the season as the Sox drop both games of a doubleheader in Cleveland. They're one and four. Well, no better place to start than the beginning here. In game one, the Sox lost four to three. Dylan C started the game for the White Sox today. In the first inning, gave up a two-run bomb to Frankie Lindor. Uh, immediately after showing a replay of Lindor's home run from 2019. Thank you very much, NBC Sports Chicago, for putting the bad juju out there. We were like, oh, great. We thought it was a real-time home run live, and then we saw, oh, it was just a replay from last year. And then what happened to the next pitch? He hits one right out. So that one, this loss is on you squarely, NBC Sports Chicago. But Dylan sees fell behind hitters today. He couldn't spot the fastball. The curveball was even worse. Uh, he labored through that first inning, 21 pitches. And I don't know if you feel the same way, but the, it reminded me a lot of what Lucas Giolito went through on Friday. It seemed like a guy making his first start of the year with expectations and in, you're, you're going in this game below 500, one and two before Dylan takes the mound. And maybe you're talking about a guy who had a little problem dealing with the expectations and maybe he was a little too amped up to start the game uh, you know looking at how his pitches were spotting do you agree with that maybe he was a little bit amped up tonight yeah I think so also and it's the first start he hasn't pitched in a decent amount he supposed to pitch yesterday I think he's had like way too much time off so maybe he is you know was throwing things harder than he needed to and couldn't spot uh, his fastball where you needed to, but uh, yeah, Frankie Lindor, you you chalk that up to the game. That man's great. So ninety-seven mile per hour fastball getting turned around like that, you shrug. You're like, all right, cool, fine. But then you just like, uh, like you just want to have these guys just like, cool. I gave up that two run home run. There's nothing I can do about it. 
let's get the rest of the people out. But it was just like, no, we're we're going to give up a garbage home run to Zimmer. And that was a pop fly, but still, he allowed that pop fly to happen, that foul, uh, that fly out to happen, and knows the atmosphere that he was pitching in today. So, I don't know. It's just so frustrating when a guy doesn't get over what he's already done and then starts walking people or giving up hits to people that he shouldn't be giving up to. So that's why I'm disappointed. I, uh, I don't want to say I was right about it to anybody, you know, it's the yeah. first time through the rotation. Man, yeah. It's been, it's been rough. It's very early. So I'm not, I'm not ready to say that you were, uh, you were right and I'm wrong. I'm certainly. Right. Um, <laughs> but there's a, a stat thrown out there by Chris Kampka at the end of the second game. Sox starters for the first time since 1995, the Sox haven't had a starter complete six innings in their first five games. So this hasn't happened in uh, 25 years. Is that right? Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, that'll be, yeah, 25 years. <laughs> math, 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 math. We're so good. Um, so that's not good. Um, Lucas Giolito tries to right the ship tomorrow, but back to game one a little bit here. Uh, Aaron Savale started for Cleveland. He had a career-high nine strikeouts against the White Sox today. I would love to say that uh, the approaches weren't great. Uh, there were a couple guys that didn't have the best approach. Uh, Grandal possibly being one of those guys, but he got hosed on a real bad call um, mm-hmm. for, for his, uh, I think it was his third strikeout by a home plate umpire, uh, Tim May. But Savale, you, got, you know, I'm sick of tipping my cap, but he had a pretty good approach all day, and he was getting his breaking balls over early in the count, and he was able to keep them off balance Pretty much all game. Uh, Tim Anderson did have a home run in the third inning. He looked he looked good in that at bat. Took the breaking ball opposite field for a solo shot. Good good strength there by Timmy. I like the approach there. Encouraging sign. Timmy's been str- struggling a little bit. Um, they get the opportunity in the fourth inning. The White Sox have the bases loaded. Uh, Luis mm-hmm. Robert grounds out. He saves a hell of a time to hit his softest ball of the year. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if Statcast could detect that exit velo uh, off that ground ball back to the pitcher, but he's able to at least you know uh, leg it out to first base. So Robert grounds out to Savali, and then Liori grounds out to first, and that's that, as they said in Goodfellas. And the the rally in the fourth inning goes by the wayside, and that was sort of the uh, the tail of the tape here for Game One. Sox four for thirteen with runners in scoring position. Um, and 11 men left on base. They did tack on a run in the ninth inning, an RBI single from Grandal. Um, just the, 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 the offensive woes uh, already rearing uh, its ugly head. I know you don't have Eloy in the lineup, but how much of this would you say is lineup construction? And we'll get to that lineup in game two in just a second. How much of this is lineup construction? How much of it is just, you know, a team needing a, a big hit at the right time. How much of it do you think is just learning how to win? What do, what do you make of uh, the, the, the struggles in, with uh, runners in scoring position, at least in game one? I think mostly uh, not. I mean, lineup construction is a thing and it's negligible by a time you do 162 season this year, 60. So even more like negligible. Um, but I don't like Timmy at the top of the order. I don't like him as the leadoff guy at all. He sets a tone. He's struck out on four straight pitches to start that game. It didn't give me on a good measuring of what Savali was bringing to the plate. Uh, like, you look bad, too. Like, I don't know. He's not a leadoff hitter. And whatever the typical leadoff hitter thing is, all I want is my leadoff guy to get on base a certain amount of time. And Timmy's not that guy. He hit most 
I mean, he got on base because he hit last year. So if we can recalibrate the lineup to have a guy who gets on a lot, I don't like Johan being the leadoff guy, but he seems like a guy that no matter what can get on base and do his thing. So if need be, dropping Timmy to the seven, bringing uh, Luis Robert up to the one or two spot, somebody else. I would be advocating for Yasmani Grandel, but that's way too far fetched for a guy like Ricky Renteria to do. But yeah, I, yeah, you can't leave eleven men on base, especially in a hotly contested game like this. It turned out to be a four-three loss. So these eleven men left on base, just get half of those guys in. You're walking off with a great victory right there in that first game, and that's really all you wanted. Set the tone for the series. Get one. You can relax on two and three, not relax on it, but you don't pressing in games two and three because you're thinking, man, if we start one and four, it's going to put us behind the eight ball. Imagine you start you start two and two and you're like, all right, cool. We're relaxed. We're chilled out. The season's not over. Plenty of time to play. We'll go into the second game versus Plutko and see where the chips fall there. And the third game, you know, that'll be like uh, house money if we win the game versus Plutko. But, nope, you lose that first game, sets the tone, you do the same thing in the second game. It's just, like, uh, just so frustrating. So frustrating. So frustrating. Um, here's what I'll say about this. is If this were a 162-game season, and we're going to be saying this a lot, I think, uh, over the course of this season, if this were a normal 162 and they and they start 1-4, and four, yeah, people would be just as disappointed, I think, because we our brains only know one way to think about a baseball season is, you know, how do you, how do you how do you come out of the gate? How do you look? You know, what are are, are there signs of hope here? And I, I think, you know, you can rebound from a one and four start in a one hundred and sixty two game season. And and what I think that they're going through right now a little bit is you have the veterans like Grandal. Encarnacion, Abreu, they're putting together some good at-bats, giving you a good chance to win. But the lack of depth here is getting exploited a little bit. And guys like Delmonico, Leory Garcia, not having great at-bats late in ball games. This is one of those situations where I think they just need to learn how to win. Maybe part of it is talent, but that sounds cliche. And what I say, learn how to win, is... You know, we don't need you pulling a ball, Leory Garcia, to, to the second baseman to end an inning. You know, maybe try a different approach. Go opposite field a little bit. You know, mm-hmm. I, it's just, you know, go with the pitch a little bit better, I would say. And, you know, just try to make some 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 contact anywhere else other than where the pitcher wants you to make the contact. You know, like get, just getting a, get a little bleeder through here. You know, make, you know, leg out a bunt hit, you know, like a swinging bunt or something like that. But, you know, you're playing right into their hands with how they're pitching you. And I think a lot of these guys have to still figure out, you know, that that what guys are trying to do to them when they're up there in the box. So that that's part of it. And I think over the course of a 162, you know, you start one and four, maybe you win the next two, and eventually by you know May, early June, you figure it out. It's like, oh, okay, this is how you win ball games late. This is how you take games that are up for grabs in the seventh and eighth inning, and this is how you grab those games by the neck, you know, and they're just not doing that right now. And even in the second game, which was still a winnable game despite how bad it looked early on for Carlos Rodon, you know, they just, you know, Abreu was the only ones that had a good approach. I think a lot of the guys, they looked a little looked a little gassed out there. Uh, you know, uh, Moncada I don't think had as good a game in game two as he did in game one. But the pros out there, they're putting together good at-bats, but a lot of these guys who haven't been around 
uh, a lot of winning or just you know haven't been playing every day uh, for the, most of their careers they're, they're struggling a little bit you know, in those situations so hopefully that'll improve once Nomar uh, Mazara comes back and once Eloy comes back and the lineup starts to look good on paper again but you know speaking of the lineup so the Sox dropped game one four to three and you know I, I, I felt maybe they can come back and, and rally late they, they didn't uh, they, they gave him a thrill there in the ninth inning with that Grandal single, but game two, Carlos Rodon starts against Adam Pletko. Rodon gets into trouble early, falls behind three nothing, and then you're like, okay, you know, this is this is par for the course here. The starting rotation's been doing this every day so far this season. You know, I think everyone's feeling the pressure of the shortened season. You know, every game is way differently this year than what they're used to, and now you have expectations being thrown upon your ball club. So maybe that'll that'll count for this, but you, you figure, oh, three nothing. You're like, all right, I think the Sox can rally from three nothing. And then you look at the lineup that's rolled out there in game two, and I, I was I could not get off of Twitter. It was my wife's birthday tonight, and we're trying to enjoy dinner, and I could not get off of Twitter because of all the <laughs> hand wringing over this lineup. Uh, Ricky had Tim Anderson leading off at short. We talked about that. Moncada two, Abreu three. Nicky Delmonico bats cleanup uh, in game two, and behind him is Ugh. is Zach Collins. And let, let's let's break that down a little bit before we go deep deeper in this lineup. Nicky Delmonico batting fourth. I, I try to look at these things objectively and try to see all sides on this and see where the manager is coming from. I really don't know. It would it would be interesting to see what Ricky says post game about it. If if someone you know questions the lineup, I know that's kind of taboo. If you're a beat writer questioning the actual construction of a lineup, because Ricky, you know, he he's gone off before about that. But Nicky Delmonico Monaco batting fourth, I believe he was hitting 083 going into the game two, and then I'm trying to look at it. I was like, okay, maybe you know he gets a better shot with someone hitting behind him. But then no, he's got. Zach Collins hitting behind him, who's barely played at all this year, and so that you know, mm-hmm. it's not it's not even lefty righty situation. It's a lefty lefty. So I don't understand the thought process here with Nicky Delmonico batting fourth. And I think it gets to a point here where you're putting more pressure on a guy when you when you have him batting fourth in the lineup. You know, you move him down a little bit. I, I know that looks like you're losing faith in a guy, but at least you're throwing him out there. But when you move him up in a lineup, I'm not a big fan of that. What was your take on Nicky Delmonico hitting fourth in game two? Idiotic. It doesn't make any sense. He's not a good hitter in the first place. As we explained multiple times in multiple episodes, he barely made the team. The reason he made the team is Nomar Mazara is on the IL right now, and so he cannot play. So they needed somebody to play right field. And somehow, Nicky has been a darling to Ricky Renteria, and he has not let him out the lineup. I just saw a stat. Somebody put it on there that Nicky Delmonico has much more ABs than our big-time free agent acquisition Yasmani Grandal has this year. Nicky Delmonico has played in all five of these games. Every single one of them he's played and started in all these games. Ridiculous. Unbelievable. And him batting second one time in the lineup and today fourth in the lineup is asinine. In front of, and as I put it on Twitter, Ricky could do his whole right, left, right, left thing. And that's not, you know, my cup of tea, but I understand why he does it, especially with the three batter minimums going on now in Major League Baseball. But he went with right handed Tim Anderson, switch hitter, Yoan Moncada, right hander, uh, Jose Abreu. Then fourth hitter is a 083 Nicky Delmonico. It's gone down, gone down since then, yeah. 
left-handed hitter, first or second year guy, Zach Collins, who barely plays left-handed, and then all-star, 2019 all-star, James McCann, who in his first start hit a home run, and guess what? In this game, he hit another home run. So I don't get it. I just don't get it. Like, put the better players at the top of the lineup. Stop just putting a guy in the you know the top of the lineup just because he happens to hit left-handed. If he doesn't hit at all, it doesn't fucking matter if he hits left-handed at all. It just I man, I I want to know. It's not even the results necessarily. It's what is your thought process? What are you thinking here? Why is Nicky Delmonico hitting after Jose Abreu in front of Zach Collins the thing to do? Why isn't it the James McCann shouldn't be hitting cleanup right behind Jose Abreu. Why no Encarnacion today in the second game? He, I, just so many questions yeah, Herbie, that need what, to be answered. What, what chances Luis Robert have to be a run producer when, when he's got that in front of him, when he's got basically uh, someone who's played less professional baseball than he has in uh in Zach Collins, you know, setting the table. You know, I mm-hmm. I, I think you'll see James McCann hitting higher in the line, but now you have a problem now where James McCann's playing better than your big free agent acquisition Yasmani Grandal. So what now you have to put James McCann in the lineup, you have to put him at DH. So what happens what becomes of Encarnacion? Like you got all sorts of problems here and usually these would be good problems when you have, you know, depth, but you have depth in the wrong areas. You know what I mean? Like you can't like yeah. that. That just makes it worse because you know it, it it takes playing time away from other guys who are seasoned professionals. So you know, and the whole Luis Robert thing, batting so low in the order, I I totally get it. Not trying to put too much on the kid early, but so far he's met every single challenge you know laid in front of him, and and he's looked more than than he belongs. He, he's looked awesome and. In all aspects, offense, defense, demeanor, everything, he's looked absolutely unbelievable. Uh, I, I think he's looked better than I even I thought he would look at this point because I thought he would struggle early, especially what, what we saw how guys were pitching him in spring training and and, and in the uh, inter squad games and you know how you how you saw Kyle Hendricks approach him and I thought he'd get carved up pretty good here the first week, but no, it hasn't been the case. So in between games, before game two even starts. They're doing the pregame show on NBC Sports Chicago, and here's what Ozzie Guillen had to say about the lineup construction tonight for Game 2. Nicky Delmonico batting fourth here in Game 2, and I looked it up. He's actually made 41 starts batting cleanup in his career with eight home runs. When? Uh, I don't have that in front of me, but, but he I, I, has it, done it. He wasn't with the White Sox before. That wasn't big league team. No. In the last three years, no. No, I'm sorry, but no. Yeah. But what what you looking at Roberts more at bat? I think now here's what I think he's doing, Renteria. He still wants to protect his rookie, but at this point, bring him up in the order. Oh, he, he, he's showing he's ready. I I would bat him fourth right now. But you know, protect from what? You know what I mean? You just this kid's gonna be the future batting fourth or fifth of the White Sox. Yeah. Watch out with batting third. And you know what I mean? I just like here is because he looked good on you know, you see the base he had to right field? Yes. Today. Nice easy swing. To the right field, he's not the type of rookie you just want to jank and hit home run every time. This kid is a good hitter. The Monaco, you know, I mean, I don't mind about you batting for, but I, I think you get the best opportunity and more at bats to your best hitter. Yeah, so Ozzy Guillen, man, things things are getting a little mm. spicy now. Now all of a sudden you have the beloved former manager of the World Series winning team on the team network on television questioning the lineup. 
this is things are all pointing in the wrong direction here for Rick Retoria, I think. Yeah, I mean, I will be frustrated too. And believe you me, when Ozzie Guillen said on the score a couple uh, last week that he's better than ninety percent of the managers, Ricky Renteria was part of that group, and it must be frustrating for Ozzie Guillen to look at Ricky Renteria and what he does from day to day. And you know, I think managers don't matter that much in wins and losses, but whatever Ozzie Guillen does and keeps the players loose and keep the pressure off them, it seems to work. I don't remember us bitching about Ozzie Guillen lineups except for those Sunday, you know, throwaway lineups where the guys had to get a bunch of rest. Otherwise, I thought his lineups were consistent were where the players were hitting at the time. Well, when, when Ozzie had depth, good when Ozzie had depth in 05, the Sunday lines weren't even a, a huge problem because they ended up winning a lot of those games. And we saw, you know, there was a method to it at least. We saw, we knew it was coming, and that gave guys that weren't playing every day a chance to prepare. Like, okay, I'm going to be in the lineup. Guys like Pablo Ozuna out there, Ross Timo, Ross Glode, those guys are like, all right, we're going to get some playing time, and we know when we're playing so we can prepare as such. And ultimately, in the big picture, it turned out to be a great thing, and then we saw what happened later on when he didn't have the adequate rosters, and I think people got more angry over those years. But yeah, it, you know, there, there's there was at least a method to it. I don't I don't see a method to to Rick Renteria's madness here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If, they, if he had something and he came out to explain baseball, at least his philosophy to the beat writers and the beat writers, you know, sent that out to the fans. Then we're like, I disagree but I understand that he has a method behind his madness. This doesn't make any sense. Like, Zach Collins shouldn't be batting fifth in a lineup that you're supposed to be fucking competing with. Zach Collins should never be that. Even if he's, like, substituting in, there should be better hitters than Zach Collins. And I'm sure eventually he'll be a Major League Baseball hitter, but not that time is not now. And it's not here. And, I, don't th- I don't think it's here. I, he's got yeah, no, he's and, got no spot on this fine. team. Yeah, he's got no spot on this team unless he wants to pick up a glove and learn how to play right field. He he's got no future here. I don't think unless someone gets hurt. He's a nice guy to have around, and and I love that Ricky actually pinch hit for for him late in the ball game because in game one because he does have a pretty solid approach in terms of knowing the strike zone. If you want to get a base runner on, there there are a lot worse guys you can call on than Zach Collins in that situation. But yeah, I just I don't know where he fits here. You know, especially in the short term. You know, that's you know taking away at bats from Encarnacion and and Grandal and things like that. I, I don't I don't understand it. It's definitely complicated, and it's certainly looking like you know I don't know maybe. I don't want to call him a bust. You know, it's still too early because he hasn't had the playing time. But I, I don't know what to make of him uh, being on this team right now. Um, moving on. So lineup not great. Socks. You know, you you of course Delmonico comes up in a big spot uh, early in, in game two and, and doesn't come through. I was pulling so hard for him to come through. Um, but Rodon is out there, and we'll, we'll get to him here. So he settles down after giving up the three early runs. You're like, okay, let's stop. You know, stop the bleeding here. And then something happens where he he's not comfortable on the mound. He's like sliding off on his heel, and and he can't get his 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 follow through set up. And all of a sudden, that leads to walks. And all of a sudden, he's out of the game. At how many pitches did he have when when he was out of the game? Not many. Um, so what did you make of that? I mean, I I felt encouraged for a little bit until I saw the way Rodon exited that ball game. What did you make of his appearance today? I thought, 
he was just trying to find the toe grip. He had 71 pitches today, so he was almost at a level where I would have won him out of the game anyways. Three and two-thirds, four hits, five earned. Um, he was just erratic today. His slider wasn't where he needed to be, and he probably in the post game will say, you know, you know, my landing zone wasn't where I needed to be, and so I couldn't follow through on my slider like I wanted to. You can see a couple times where he spiked his slider, and he would be cussing at himself like, effing, what the hell am I doing? So maybe it's just the Cleveland mound wasn't uh, as, uh, I don't know, like accommodating to him. I don't know if the wear it worked, and tear from. It worked for the great other. Adam Plutko. Adam Plutko had no problem with the mound there tonight. <laughs> I mean, it's his home mound. I mean, they probably manicured it for himself. And, you know, a couple other people have pitched on that mound from today. So I don't know. I'm sure they did some manicuring between the games, but, you know, Manic, uh, Plutko gets the pitching and then Rodon didn't get a, a comfortable with that because he did it like three times where he like kind of spun yeah. and didn't get a full like push off of his front foot, which would be his right foot. And it seemed kind of weird. Maybe just excuses for him because usually when the guy pitches and he's healthy, he looks decent. He looks where, okay, that's an acceptable major league pitcher. Today, he was just leaving balls in the zone. That ball that uh, Carlos Santana hit. Whew. Friends. Murdered. <laughs> he's still out there raking, boy. Carlos Santana is still getting checks, and he's still hitting bombs like that, man. I think what happened was with that mound, I think they had the guy who usually sits up in the upper deck banging the drum. I think he took his little <laughs> his, his little drum. He was banging on the mound, maybe. You know, that's what it looked like. It, would look, it looked awful out there, but... You know, you know. Then a C-Sheck comes in, gives up the two-run single, and then that's basically that. Sox are, you know, fighting an uphill battle the rest of the ball game, and things didn't work out again. Sox drop both games in the doubleheader. They've got uh, Lucas Giolito starting tomorrow. Get to him in a second against uh, Zach Plesac, who looked good against the Sox last year. I believe he lost a game one nothing or two one. Uh, gave up a bomb to Tim Anderson late in the year. So, But they got their work cut out for them again tomorrow. I will say this about the Indians, man. You know, I, I had the Sox finishing ahead of them, and we were kind of writing them off all offseason, talking about when they'll trade Lindor and this and that. But they're, they're a team that they just they just keep churning it out, man. They just keep showing up every year. And you, I thought that when they lost the World Series to the Cubs in 2016, I was like, all right, that'll be it for them. Like, they'll never repeat this success again. But they still got Lindor. Uh, they, they still got uh, Ramirez. Jose Ramirez, and, yeah. You know, and... That fucking Mercado's a thing with that catch in center yeah, field that, off of uh, Zach Collins' bat. That was a hell of a play. They, their, their scouting is still so much better uh, than the White Sox is at this point because they can just throw a guy out there like Plutko, who didn't have a great year last year, but he goes out there tonight, looks decent. Savale, who had an okay year last year, he looks good. They just they, they churn out respectable starting pitching every year in Cleveland. So I, 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 got, I got to tip my hat there. And also they, they have these these guys that aren't household names, like you know the guy you just mentioned, Mercado, and, and other guys over there. And it's just they, they're, they're all immediately re playing respectably, and they're able to keep up with maybe there's no expectations there, but you know they're still placing 
near the top in the standings nearly every year in the Central. So, you know, they, they must know there's expectations. So I just – I got to give props to them, man, because they, they aren't going away. And they look like a beatable team out there tonight, but they executed. That's one thing that the Sox did not do. So I, I envy what they're doing there in Cleveland in a lot of ways. I don't know how sustainable it is because once they lose the man Lindor, once they can't afford to pay him – could be a wrap for that, but then you know who, who knows the, the way their scouting is and the way their their international scouting has been and the Dominican has been much better uh, than the White Sox. I'll say that. Let me just go before we go to speak to your point you were talking about. The Indians in 2016 had this draft. First round, the guy is not doing well. The second round, the guy is number two prospect Nolan Jones. Third round was Aaron Savale. Fourth round, Shane Bieber. There guy that they push back from tomorrow's start and they're gonna have him start versus the uh, minnesota twins on uh, during the weekend the first game of that game so fourth over, fourth round is picked and then their 12th round pick was the guy we're gonna see tomorrow zach plesek so one draft to 2016 draft got their whole like two-thirds or three-fifths of their starting rotation or three-six i guess half of it so because uh, zach plesek is like a six starter that's really that's amazing work. Good find by you. We looked that up. Yeah, that's just that's it's awesome work by them, and that's that's what keeps them at the top of the division every year without a huge payroll and without big time trades or acquisitions. You know, that's like it's just it's scouting and developing, man. And I know I don't want to extrapolate too much off of one day in Cleveland, you know, but I I like the stuff from Savali and and Plutko looked decent out there. You know, he wasn't great by any means, but. These guys, mm-hmm. they, they pour it in the strike zone, and and they keep you you know off balance. You know that that's all you ask for. They look like they know how to pitch, and it looks like they're they're not forcing the issue out there. It doesn't look like they're going out there with any nerves. You know, so yeah, I think I hopefully they'll salvage uh, one more uh, tomorrow uh, against Zach Plesac, like you said. But let, I want to go over just how the Sox they're, they're one and four. The last time they were one and four was 2015. We remember that year. That was the year of Melky and David Robertson, and that was the last year that there was really any expectations. Uh, they started one and four, and they only ended up winning 76 games. They, they, you know, they couldn't dig themselves out of that hole. That was the year that Hector Noesi started the home opener. But let's just go by over the last 10 years. So now they're one and four. Last year, two and three. 2018, three and two, but then they lost five straight after that. 2017 2 and 3, 2016 3 and 2, 2015 1 and 4, 2014 2 and 3, 2013 3 and 2, 2012 3 and 2, 2011 3 and 2 and 2010 1 and 4. So the 1 and 4 starts, you know, granted it was a 162, but they're few and far between over the last decade, so that's why Sox fans are a little bit nervous right now. I would I think that this team is way more talented than a lot of these teams on this list from the f- past 10 years, except maybe not the 2012 team. That was a pretty talented team before it fell apart in the end. But there are some signs of hope here. I said, Lucas Giolito's pitching tomorrow. Stoney was talking about it at the end of the game. He doesn't think he'll repeat his performance of opening night. I should hope not. Um, here's his chance to be a true stopper, the number one guy in the rotation. This is what it's all about. And also, Eloy, not in the lineup and he'll eventually get back in there. He's under the MLB protocol for his uh, concussion, if they're, they're calling it that, his dizziness, whatever they want to call it. But he's in the MLB protocol for that. He'll, not, him not being in the lineup hurts them a lot. You know, that's a, that's a power-dominant bat that's missing from the middle of your lineup. And then if he's in there, we're not talking about Nicky Delmonico hitting fourth. So eventually Eloy will be back in the lineup. And I don't think starting pitching will be this bad 
uh, for much longer. They'll they'll get a quality start at some point. I'll go out. I won't hurt myself out on the ledge there, Herbie. But they will get a quality start at some point, and uh, it should be Lucas Giolito tomorrow, as Vince Scully once said. Momentum is tomorrow starting pitcher. So. Not yeah. a great day. Not a great day for White Sox fandom, and uh, a lot very frustrating. And this is where misery loves company. I know I was on Twitter all night, and hopefully, you guys and girls who are listening tonight can kind of just bask in the misery of a bad day in White Soxdom. <laughs> and I'm going to take a positive out of this. While our starting pitchers were terrible today with Cease and Rodon, we had ten innings combined of no runs either earned or otherwise, given up by the bullpen. So Jace Fry, Jimmy Cordero, Detweiler, who looked really nice in his uh, relief roles, Ciszek and Hoyer, Hoyer, they all look good in that first game. And then the second game, uh, it's good to see Alex Colomay out there doing work. Jimmy Lambert in game two. Lambert, Ciszek again out there. He gave up the run that uh, – Rodon uh, left them. He inherited, but he, you know, he shot, settled down and C-Shack, got the last out. C-Shack's got to be like, come on, man. Like, <laughs> I, I just got done getting my arm unrubberized from Joe Madden last year, and you're going to throw me out here in two games of a doubleheader? Come on, mm-hmm. man. <laughs> Poor Steve Ciszek. <laughs> I mean, people look good out there. The, the rotation, not so good, but our bullpen so far, I've been impressed with. They have been better than I thought. And if anything, looking forward, we need to be like positive about having these bullpen guys see like that first game could have got out of control really quickly. And the second game, too. But the bullpen guys after Cease left, the bullpen guys like, all right, that's enough. No more runs. And we're going to give you a chance to rally, which the White Sox tried to do all the time. We heard the 11 men left on base. That was the bugaboo that cost them that first game. But. If we have a positive, it's that White Sox bullpen. No doubt. And the starting pitching staff's got to return the favor, man. They got to they got to take some of the load off their shoulders because this 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 cannot be sustainable. You know, you can't have your bullpen out there pitching this often and being this effective. And I agree. It was a great day for the bullpen as a whole, you know, keeping the Indians at bay and keeping it within reach for the Sox offense who just couldn't come up with a big hit at all today. But, yeah, the starting pitching has got to pick up the slack now, man. This is this is one turn to the rotation. It starts tomorrow with Giolito. He's got to say, you know, enough's enough, and hopefully these things will get on a roll from there and it'll become a domino effect. But uh, before we get out of here, I just want to let you guys know that Locked on White Sox is brought to you by our friends at CBD. MD, I know it's been tough lately. You can't get to your gym. You can't do all the things you want to do. Maybe you're working at home. Maybe you're a professional athlete or you're a stay-at-home parent or just a podcaster like Herbie and I. And uh, maybe you just spend eight hours a day in one of those uncomfortable office chairs. Everyone needs support to make it through the day. Luckily, though, our friends at CBDMD, they've got an amazing duo that can help you relax, regroup, and recharge when life gets chaotic. CBD Freeze with Menthol is an award-winning product that offers instant cooling relief for muscles and joints in a convenient and easy-to-use or shareable squeeze tube. There's also CBD Recover. It combines CBD with inflammation-fighting compounds like Arnica and vitamin B6 to give you the support you need where it matters most. And to make it even easier for you guys to try this amazing duo of CBD topicals and everything else that CBDMD has to offer, they're offering our Lockdown White Sox listeners 25% off your next order when you use the promo code MLB at checkout. Once again, that's cbdmd.com, 
promo code locked on MLB for 25% off your purchase of superior CBD oil products from our friends at CBDMD. Well, for Chris Tannehill, man, it's just such a depressing. Like last week, it is Tuesday right now. Last week, Tuesday, we were on fire. Like baseball's coming. We're going to be doing things on Friday. And then a week later, and the season is over. <laughs> and the season's over. <laughs> Just so sad and so depressing. I understand. And for all the people, like, you got to get out to a, fresh, a fast start. And I was pushing against those people uh, because all these games count the same. So if the White Sox did the exact same versus the Indians and the Cubs at the end of the year, so they go one and four right now and go four and one versus the Cubs at the end of the year, People will be like, okay, that's good. I really appreciate that. So it's not over. They have 16 teams in this playoff. It's just very disappointing to see this team underperform. I think if we all saw people hitting well and our pitchers pitching well and he just got beat, people are like, man, I'm sad, but it's good to see this. Like that first game versus Minnesota, it's like we got beat, but, man, that offense is on fire. It was great to see them come back from 5 nothing down. That type of thing we'll be fine with. But we can tell that the White Sox are not playing to their potential. So that's extra frustrating. And then I think to myself, maybe this is the White Sox. Maybe they are not good. And I don't want to think that. And I need people to talk me off the ledge yeah. that these some bitches are actually good and underperforming. I should be mad. I don't I don't if they were ju- if they're just bad, why would I be mad? I don't believe they're bad. You know, I granted my my projection of them winning the division was there was a lot of there's a few leaps of faith in there uh, in terms of Lopez and Cease, but it's only because I've seen it with my eyes and I and I and I trusted in the development staff and the players around these guys in the support system. I I trust in those guys that they'll do everything in their power to make themselves better and they can rely on other guys around them like Giolito to to say, "Hey man, uh, how can I get better? How did you make the turnaround? Like if they're going to get help on the outside or the inside of the organization. But I've seen it with my eyes. I've seen Ronaldo Lopez be dominant with my own eyes. So uh, granted, maybe it was just too big of a leap of faith. And there's a long way to go here. But I don't, I don't think they're bad. I think there's a lot of talent on this team. And they're trying to manage expectations. And maybe they're, they're, they're coming out a little flat, uh, gripping the bats a little too tight, gripping the ball a little too tight early here because they know – all these games are, are weighted, and right now they're in last place. They're looking up at the Royals, who are two and three, and they're heading to Kansas City after this series. And you know they're one of the biggest disappointments in baseball right now, along with the Angels, who are one and three. Uh, you know they're at the bottom of the AL West right now, and there's, there's a lot of things going on here. A lot of things can change quickly here. Starting with a win tomorrow will be a, a good start for them. So I, I'm going to stand by what I say. This is a talented team. And I think they still will make the playoffs. But it's clear to me that the Indians and the Twins are still in a different category as them. And it's up to the White Sox to figure out how to bridge that gap and learn how to win ball games the way those teams do. Yeah, it's very important for the White Sox to get to their level because it doesn't look like those two teams are falling back as I predicted. Looks like the Twins took the White Sox being good this year as a personal affront and want to show them immediately that they're still the kings of the AL Central. And the Twins, or the Indians, were also not looking to give up any type of crowns to the White Sox, who are up and coming. And the Indians like, oh, we don't give a damn. We're still going to beat you two out of these three games. Need 
absolutely need our ace, Lucas Giolito, to do work tomorrow and show the Indians that we're here to play 2-4, and four, not where we need to be, but it is an absolute must to go 2-4, uh, and four, leave Cleveland with a little good feeling going to Kansas City because those Royals, well, some bitches are playing well themselves. They are, and it, it pains me to see that. It pains me to say it, but yeah, I always worry about no matter how bad the Royals are projected to be on paper, I always worry about them because they, they are always a team that usually has some talent, um, You know, usually the pitching suspect, but they, they still got Mondesi over there. And I wonder if uh, if Dozier is going to be off the uh, the COVID protocol by by the time the Sox get over there. But if he's back in the lineup, that's trouble for the White Sox. He crushes them, and uh, maybe they have time to pick up Chesler Cuthbert <laughs> that the White Sox have released <laughs> and he him. Just kills us. Of course he would. <laughs> of course he would. But yeah, so so a big week ahead, man. We'll we'll know a lot by the end of this week what type what type of team this is. But I will say this: uh, in the history of sixty game seasons. A team that has started one and four has never not won the World Series. So <laughs> you have that. There's your positivity. Very true. Very true. <laughs> yeah, that's true. your positivity. So that's all I got tonight, Herbie. Hopefully, uh, it'll be a better day tomorrow. Yeah, definitely. And we're looking forward to some great Locked On Sox episodes this week. We still have our Locked On Luis Robert episode coming up later on this week. And also, we're going to be doing a recap of tomorrow's show. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll see. You know, we'll we'll figure it out as we go. Maybe we'll knock out two episodes tomorrow. But yeah, if if they win, we got to recap it because I haven't even been able to play my Bill Walton Sox win drop yet because we didn't do one after Saturday because I took my wife out for her birthday. So we didn't get the the lone win that they've had this year. We haven't been able to celebrate appropriately. So even if it's a five minute recap, you're goddamn right. We're going to talk about it if they win tomorrow. I think I should be the manager of the White Sox, because they've won every game that they got the lead in. So <laughs> do that. Get more. out there and get the lead, you guys. Come on. Too sweet. Yeah. I mean, if we're going to be the White Sox fans and traditional White Sox fans, hey, in 2005, they had the lead in the first 24 games. Was it 24? Something like that, yeah. But They had a lead in each of their first 24 games. Then they won the World Series. But that's the way you should do it. But that's what I'm talking about, though. You know, it sounds cliche, and I know you're making fun of Sox fans there and, and just fans in general because they take the one team that's been successful in their life and they kind of just judge everything compared to that. But there is something to pouncing on teams early. Cleveland did it so far this series. The Twins definitely did it. But it's just, you know, you get to these starting pitchers early and get to the soft underbelly of the bullpen, even though the bullpen performed well today. But pounce on teams early and put the pressure on the opposition. All These these teams, that's why they're at the top of the, the division every year. They're doing that. They're scoring early. And it definitely, you feel it as a fan watching the games. You're like, oh, God, here we go. We're in the hole again. You know, so they, they know that too. So that that's part of it, man. Get on the board early tomorrow against Zach Plesak, and uh, maybe maybe you can eke one out uh, against him tomorrow. But you got to get on the board early. Maybe get some confidence going, and we'll see where Eloy is in the lineup tomorrow if if he's back at all. But if we don't have him for another week, that's that's a big problem too. But ah, we're getting back into the negative again. That's all I got tonight. God damn it, we're done. <laughs> all right, um, White Sox lose a double header to the Cleveland Indians. We hate them with all our might, but also respect them because they keep on doing good things with that team. Trading away Corey Kluber, I thought it was the end, but damn it, the Cleveland Indians are here to stay. And Bauer. So, oh damn it, yeah, they traded Bauer away too. Damn it. 
man. And they're still just, you know, moving on. But for Chris Tannehill, my name is Herb Lawrence. This is Locked on Socks. You can follow us at Locked on Socks. Send us an email at LockedOnSocks at gmail.com. Follow t- Chris Tannehill at Chris Tannehill on Twitter and on Instagram. Me, ActorWall23 on Twitter and Instagram. Thank you for listening. We'll have better news tomorrow. Hey, Chris, the last time I predicted it, damn it, we won. And I'm predicting it again. We're going to win tomorrow. Wednesday night in Cleveland, we're going to win that game. Lucas Giolito is going to show up big time, finally get a pitcher over six innings, uh, a starting pitcher over six innings pitch, and we're going to win. We're going to have a big-ass game versus the Cleveland well, Indians and Dan Plesak's nephew. F- Zan, <laughs> you know what's going to happen tomorrow, right? And Crown Point. The, oh, man. You just pissed off all of our Northwest Indiana people. Uh, sorry. We're gonna, I we'll, love we'll, Crown I know. Point. I do, too. I almost uh, decided to live there before I lived on the Northwest side here. But you know what's going to happen tomorrow, right? Uh, they're going <clears> to they're gonna lose like 2-1 to one in a walk-off, and you're going to hear the – you know, the Mario Brothers thing that goes off. When they <laughs> yeah, you know that's going to happen, right? Because the Ugh. Indians have to walk off the Sox at least once per uh, series they play against them in Cleveland. It's a rule. It's it's in the, it's definitely in 2020's coronavirus rules that they have to do that. And those so. three fans in the on the parking garage across oh, the God. street would just be cheering their asses off. <laughs> no God, masks. Imagine. No masks by any of those three guys. <laughs> oh, no. Just chilling watching Indian baseball from 600 feet away it's great good for them but yes for chris Tannehill, i'm herb lawrence i'm doing this close again i'm ed farmer all of a sudden oh yeah friends we'll see you later tonight we'll talk to you on uh, the podcast <laughs> please um the treadmill don't talk to me oh friends. definitely don't talk to me tomorrow sad. at the health club because i won't even be at the gym gyms aren't even open but just definitely don't talk to me if you see me at one <laughs> i tell i tell my family don't uh, talk to me when you see me at the breakfast table <laughs> <laughs> All right, so for Chris Tannehill, again, our Lawrence, this has been Locked on Socks.